This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. There's a whole bunch to talk about, and at the end, I'm going to be announcing this month's supporter giveaway item, another very cool thing that was donated uh, by a combination of a few people. I'm looking forward to talking about that, but let's jump right into the news. First up is a MIDI expansion board that was just announced for the Sharp X68K project that would allow people to interface with the various MIDI tone and sound modules So I believe this is for things like creating your own game music or as well as just things like chiptunes and creating your own music using those original chips and platforms, which is something I would love to get into at some point. Um, I believe the team that's making them, TD Linux, is releasing the specs as open source, but they're also going to take orders to build and sell, which I love, by the way. Uh, I really hope more people do that, and I know how much time and effort support takes, and I do realize uh, a lot of people just don't have the ability to do both the designs and the support, so the whole open sourcing it but still selling a few is really wonderful, or at least cutting a deal with somebody and saying, hey, will you make 20 of these for me just so people could try them out? So that's pretty awesome. Um, prices started around $75, uh, and all of the links to everything you need should be down below. FFVI Man, which Final Fantasy VI? Final Fantasy VI Man? Not sure the proper way to pronounce that, but he has just released his own version of a SNES region mod um, and has been working with Bordy and Akari and others to try to get around issues like the CIC checks and all of that. Um, he's selling the board for what comes out to about $28 US dollars, um, so you're really looking at about 35 total if you have a one chip as well. Um, the install page is in French, but it'll soon be translated over to English. So if anybody's interested, uh, check out the links and you won't have to rely on Google Translate pretty soon. There's a new automatic optical audio switch available up on Tindy. And uh, there's both an article talking about it as well as the sale page. And it sells for $69 plus $22 shipping to the U.S., so it's not exactly cheap, but there's four SPDIF inputs and then uh, three just um, RCA optical audios, um, and in back there's dual outputs. So it's certainly a device that would be a good match for something like a G-SCART switch, um, especially if you have optical mods for your consoles, and it's something that I've been looking for for a while as well. I mean, you do always, you get what you pay for. So as long as the build quality um, and the, the design quality justifies the price, I'd happily pay for something like this. But maybe someday I'd be able to get one in for a review and check it out. and Or maybe even send it over to the audio experts like Ace or Firebrand X or one of them uh, and really get their take on something like this. Because uh, I do believe an audio switch is something that's missing, um, especially in the retro gaming community when we could have so many awesome consoles optical modded and be able to get this done. So I'll keep anybody posted if I'm ever uh, able to get my hands on one to test or if some of the more experts are as well. Video Game Perfection now has the Bordy Nintendo amps back in stock. So the ones for N64 as well as Super Nintendo, including the Super CIC, the digital audio, and 
all those awesome things that I've been talking about pretty much since I started the website. Um, <clears throat> the only thing to note, and this isn't really a big deal, I guess this is kind of more of an opinion, is um, the way video game perfection has these assembled, um, it's with safety first in mind. But that does cause a bit of an issue for people that aren't fully in the loop of what to do. Um, you know, I think your average person that would just, your average nerd that would take the time to watch some videos and read some pages, but maybe doesn't have any previous knowledge of this, would go out and buy this board. You know, they read, read about Bordy's boards. Go to, you know, it's the UK, so they probably go to um, retro gaming cables to pick up their cable, slap it all together, and then maybe it wouldn't sync depending on the way it's configured. Maybe you wouldn't get any video. And the reason for that is because these boards are assembled with um, extra components so that it compensates for people who use those crappy cables with no components in them. So that's one of those things that I've kind of been preaching for a, a while about. And some of my really smart friends have flip-flopped on the issue a few times. You know, it started out where all of my, uh, you know, all the designers were very hard, uh, a hard stance at no, you make the board to output properly, forget about the cables. But I think, um, I think after seeing many customers talk about things and after seeing this stuff unfold, the truth is if you tell people to use properly built cables, you then need to have your console output exactly the way it would if it didn't need a modification. So for stuff like Super Nintendo, Gen I mean pretty much all of them, uh, each c cable is built with uh, components in the cable in order to make that up to spec. And sometimes it's just to make it easier so that PAL and NTSC, uh, there's less revision changes on the board, you just change the cables. Um, who really knows the reasoning for some of these? So, um, you know, that's I'm certainly not putting down video game perfection for this. Erring on the side of caution means that at worst, you'll have to send an email and say, hey, I installed your board, everything looks perfect, uh, but I'm not getting any sync. And if, if Matt wants to respond to those emails, that's fine. <laughs> that's his business. But, uh, I, you know, I guess at the, in the long run, doing it this way means that there's no chance of somebody hurting any of their equipment whatsoever. But it's my opinion that you should always just make all of these boards to output exactly the way it would have if it was a stock console. So, as always, you know, put your thoughts down below. Um, if you're any of those smart developers that keeps flip-flopping on the issue, tell me where you're at today with this. <laughs> See which side you're on. But for me personally, uh, if you get a console from me, and not that I mod consoles. I'm not good enough to call myself a modder. I'm just good enough to help my friends out or something. Uh, but if you get a console from me, it's always going to be outputting exactly as if it was a stock console. So you always just go and get, order yourself a cable to spec and don't have to worry about anything weird or custom. Um, so, yeah. So here's some pretty huge news. Furtech just got his Neo Geo FPGA core running on the Mr. platform, which is absolutely unbelievable. I believe at the moment the core still doesn't have any audio support, but he's working with other developers to get that running. Um, I believe Smoke Monster had a few videos up demoing it, so definitely check out his channel. But this is just very, very cool stuff. And uh, Furtex, one of the people using Patreon in their new way, whereas um, where I like to do just the monthly whatever and you guys get the weekly podcast, um, Furtex has it where he doesn't charge his customers and, or his supporters uh, until there's a, an actual paid update. So this was one of them, and I think every single person who supports Furtex was thrilled. So um, I love to see stuff like this. I love to see people getting supported for their hard work. Um, I love to see the, all the crazy stuff Furtex come out with in the past year. I, if I ever get out to France, I gotta meet you, dude. But uh, 
yeah, very exciting. Um, definitely pay attention to Smoke, Monster, uh, Smoke Monster's Twitter and his Patreon. Um, he's up with this stuff, like, pretty much up to the minute, uh, whereas I get to it by the end of the week. So uh, if you're really into the Neo Geo stuff and you want to see how the FPGA cores work out, definitely pay attention to this. A new arcade platform was just announced at the Japanese Amusement Expo, and this is called the EXA Arcadia, which I guess could be looked at as a modern version of the Capcom Play systems. So uh, one main unit with interchangeable games. Uh, I'm not quite sure if it's uh, you know going to be a, a full board swap like the old school ones, or if it's just cartridges or discs or something. But it's cool to see arcade um, arcade hardware keep going like this. Um, you know, I've seen a few modern arcade games that were awesome, and some just never get old. Like, I think I still see those, like, uh, buckshot games and, like, the golf game where you spin the rollerball. I mean, some of those things are, you know, the, almost as old as I am, but people still under, uh, people still enjoy them. So it's cool to see modern versions of that that take it way beyond that. So I think um, it's supposed to be about comparable in power to a PS4 Pro. Um, and while I've never been to any of the Japanese arcades, a bunch of my friends have, and uh, what they've explained it's like there makes me really want to go to check this stuff out. So who knows, maybe next year I'll have a video live demoing the EXA Arcadia somewhere. Insurrection Industries GC video solution called the Carby is back. Um, this time it's a slightly updated model with that same very high quality connector, uh, but this time they cleaned up the board a little bit and to signify the new design, this one comes in black. But it's the same $75 that comes with all of the same stuff, the Carby, the HDMI cable, and the remote. So it's that same great value for that. Um, it also has the latest version of the GC video software, the 2.4C loaded on it. So at the moment, uh, in fact, ever since its release, this has been my recommendation for anybody that just wants an HDMI solution. Um, of course, if you want both, then definitely the Eon Mark II, um, designed by Dan, Citrus 3000 PSI. That gets both HDMI and analog at the same time. It's twice the price, but I mean, you get two outputs, so it's not that, you know, it's kind of fair. Um, and I believe Insurrection's component cable was delayed a little bit, but that should be out uh, relatively soon. So uh, it seems pretty fair in the GC Video plug-and-play world these days. You know, you have... $75 each for the uh, HDMI and component solutions, $150 for both, and a whole bunch of cool do-it-yourself projects out there. So as long as you uh, don't, as long as you do a little bit of research and you don't accidentally buy any of those sandwich designs that were killing GameCubes, uh, it's a good time to be a GameCube fan. A new version of the custom operating system for the RGB Pi Raspberry Pi solution has just been released. And while I follow this team on Twitter, and I, I think I follow them on YouTube as well, at least one other place, it looks like I've missed a few updates. So I'm sorry if there were some pretty significant ones in there. Um, but to give it a quick once-over, uh, this is a solution where you buy a Raspberry Pi, and this right here, just the SCART cable, has all of the components built in it. So you just plug that connector right on the GPIO connector and plug that right into a SCART device and you get um, true 240p video out of the Raspberry Pi. They recommend that you always use their software images because they have it tailored pretty specifically and I, I was always very impressed by it. Each game that you load boots into the original resolution and refresh rate, meaning games like Mortal Kombat and NBA Jam look and scroll perfectly, um, provided your monitor can handle it. Some of them don't like those weird refresh rates and stuff. Um, but uh, I guess the only trouble I ever had with it was that 
even some of the software updates that they said were compatible with the latest Raspberry Pi, the 3B+, I wasn't able to get it working on it. So I haven't had a, tra a chance to try this new version. Um, I plan on it as soon as I can. So hopefully that was one bug that they were able to get other, uh, get other, get over. And it also looks like they were able to um, to port it to different platforms. So uh, I guess I have missed a bunch. Um, you know, no disrespect. I'm a fan of the team. Uh, I like their work a lot. And the RGB Pi and um, the Retro Tink Ultimate are by far my two favorite RGB hats. Uh, I think those are both ones that, that do everything all of us could ask for. So anybody interested, check it out. And also, if anybody wants a more in-depth um, overview of these different solutions and why I like each one or why different solutions might even be better for you, check out the video I have linked at the bottom of this because it kind of walks you through most everything you should need. The FPGA ColecoVision called the Collector Vision Phoenix is now up for pre-order. I believe they had a failed Kickstarter a few months ago, but they had vowed to continue the project going. And they had some pretty interesting updates, like adding um, Atari 2600 support via SD card. And now the pre-orders are officially open. Um, just the basic consoles, $200, which I think is a pretty fair price. I mean, although we would all want to see these for as cheap as possible, I think the hardware that's required inside of these things would kind of determine that. And then you could go all the way up to $1,000 for collector's editions and... That's um, basically the same performance, but you know, fun collectory stuff. Which, and I mean that in a good way, not certainly not in a derogatory way. Um, you know, I, most of these things I just want to be able to use it. But I have a, an, a, I have the number two signed Woozle GBA behind me. I'm never selling it. I love that. I would have paid extra for that. Luckily, he was nice enough to just sign it. So, <laughs> you know, to each his own. Um, uh, the only thing about this is. You know, I, I've said for a while, I've been open about how I'm really sick of the fact that I know so many people that would love to just buy something, play their old carts, and possibly stuff off an SD card, and not have to worry about all the crap that you have to go through these days. Those crappy plug-and-play consoles or configuring a Raspberry Pi for, you know, for somebody that's not a nerd, that's definitely some kind of learning curve. And this seems to be able to solve that. I just wish there was a way to get the price down because, uh, you know, now you're talking in the price range of a Mr. with the full RGB kit as well. And although I don't have a lot of experience with the 2600 and Coleco cores, they seem great. So, um, you know, I think this is certainly fulfilling a need. And I really hope the project uh, is successful and, you know, these, this team could continue to do more stuff. I just wish there was a way for all of us to figure out how to take something like this and get it under $100. Now, once again, I'm sorry to repeat myself, but I got to just say I'm not, I'm not coming down on the team who makes this for it. I'm pretty positive the stuff that's in there is going to dictate the price of this anyway. It's certainly not a $20 worth of equipment, you know, and a hundred and something dollar upcharge. It just, uh, I hope that the overall hardware used for these things eventually comes down in price enough so things of the same quality could be lower priced. And I mean that for every team working on this stuff. So if you're interested in a way of playing your ColecoVision games on a higher quality FPGA system, original cartridges, original, uh, original controllers, this seems to be the best way to do it. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to try one out one of these days. And speaking of ColecoVision, if you prefer to play on original hardware, there's now a new multi-cart available for the Coleco, the Vectrix, and the GX4000. Each cart is preloaded with games and can be pre-ordered or purchased from the sites that are linked below. 
Um, and also, I just want to give a shout out to Chris from Belgium again for helping out and writing these articles. Because one of the goals from the moment I realized the website was more than just Scott and I needing a repository for our nerd info, um, I really wanted to branch out and hit everywhere in the world. And I just, I only speak one language. So it's great to have somebody on the team, or actually to have multiple people on the team that speak many different languages so that we don't miss things like this because I would have never been able to, to sift through a French forum trying to use Google Translate that never works the way it's supposed to. So it's very awesome that we get updates like this that maybe we normally wouldn't have. Um, and, you know, as always, thank you to the whole team that helps. And if anybody else wants to try their luck at writing some articles, you know, it's open to anybody who wants. Just email me and let me know. You're now able to pre-order the 8-bit Doe Genesis controller and retro receivers. Um, this is the Bluetooth controller and receiver that's similar to a lot of the other ones that they make in that with this retro receiver you could use a long list of other Bluetooth controllers and this Bluetooth controller can work with every other retro receiver and all that. So um, I've, I found these interesting. I have a couple of myself. Uh, I certainly like the way the SNES style one with the analog sticks works on my, super, on my Switch. Um, that definitely is my go-to controller for that. Um, but, I, you know, it's a little confusing sometimes. And, you know, I, whoever they have doing their marketing now is certainly spending a lot of money on, uh, you know, on getting the press out there because as soon as they announced the pre-order, pretty much every tech blog blew up. So I think their partnership with Analog must have gotten them whatever marketing team they have too. Uh, but I just don't understand some of the stuff that they say on their t uh, Twitter account. So somebody asked them about, well, is this Bluetooth or 2.4? And then they said they have versions of both. But then I couldn't find a version of the 2.4 available for pre or uh, Yeah, the 2.4 gigahertz, the not Bluetooth version available for pre-order. So I don't really get it. Um, if, this, uh, if this product's for you, you'll definitely know it. If you have other, uh, other Bluetooth controllers and want to use this retro receiver, or the opposite, maybe you like the look of this controller and you want to use it with other Bluetooth stuff, but for me personally, just my own opinion, for something like this, I'd rather use Crix's wireless Genesis controller. I've had zero trouble with it. It's so convenient to have it, and uh, it just, I get no complaints so far about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'll leave this one up to you. This is obviously better for some people than others, and I, I certainly don't have find anything wrong with the 8-bit Doe controllers. I just... You know, I've had some, some weird issues with Bluetooth over the years and syncing and maybe some latency. So just keep all that stuff in mind when you're choosing a wireless controller these days. There is now a rotary controller for Tempest 3000 for the Nuon, designed by Nick Persane, the same person that created those very awesome Tempest uh, 2000 Jaguar controllers. And I got to admit, when I saw Nick's post, uh, I had to think for a minute, like, what's a Nuon again? <laughs> So no dis disrespect to Nuon fans, but it's a kind of an obscure-ish console that was also built into DVD players, I guess with the mindset of, uh, you know, hey, here's your home theater device. Oh, and by the way, it plays games. And you can still find them pretty inexpensively, uh, not Tempest 3000. I've seen that game seems to go for quite a bit of money, but um, I guess there's a, a, a specific board that somebody named Lee Oliveris has designed that allows you to make custom controllers for the Nuon, and it even includes pins for the spinner controller and all that. So uh, Nick just utilized that one and put together an acrylic build with high quality parts. Um, and he's selling them build to order, uh, which I think is smart because how many of us own a, a Nuon and Tempest, but anybody that wants them, it's 250. 
And it's funny because people who have gotten into arcade sticks and arcade hardware are probably hearing that number and going like, all right. Whereas people who are used to like the 8-bit dose style Bluetooth controllers that you get for 40 bucks might think that's crazy. But um, these are all arcade quality parts, uh, especially the spinner. I, I think that's really what, you know, the quality of his work, but the spinner itself that he chose for the Jaguar controller was top-notch. It felt arcade quality. So if you're into this and you want something really weird for your new one, this is perfect. Um, I did bust Nick's chops a little bit because... Uh, you know, while anybody who plays Tempest, I feel you should be playing it on a rotary controller, it would be nice to have a rotary controller for something like a PlayStation, because maybe they made a few more copies of Tempest for PlayStation than they did for the new one. But uh, either way, it's neat, and it's weird, and I love it, and if I had a new one, I would get one. <laughs> but uh, let's keep our fingers crossed and hope Nick comes up with something crazy like this for the PlayStation version of Tempest. Because while I know it's not as good as the Jaguar version, yeah, I would much rather spend uh, good money on a high-quality spinner controller for the PlayStation than have to buy a full Jaguar set and the game just to experience Tempest. So, we'll see. A team of people have just opened up an open-source version of the GDMU menu system. I believe the last update to the current menu was over a year ago, and then the main developer uh, really stopped posting and never released the code. So while I think the menu's great for the GDMU, there are a few things that I think it really could benefit from, like auto-sorting, whether it's alphabetical or whatnot. And if you could set it so that it scans all the games only when you tell it to, so that way when you boot it up, um, it doesn't have to wait a minute to scan through all the games. Now, of course, you could set the GD menu up a certain way where you get everything set up, um, and then it, it starts instantly, but when you do that, you have to change everything around again if you add or swap out a game. So it's a lot more complicated than something like um, a ROM drive with auto-sorting, uh, a ROM cart with auto-sorting. So hopefully the team will be able to, to tackle all that stuff. And one of the things that the original developer of the original menu made was it looked like um, he was able to implement some code to access the anamorphic widescreen modes of a lot of these, which I think he essentially was just putting the, uh, you know, giving the ability to turn on the action replay codes that do it. But that's one of those things that the more I played around with, the more I really appreciated, especially with something like the DC HDMI, uh, where you'll probably be gaming on a lot of flat screen monitors. Now, each game is going to look better or worse. Some people would hate it or love it. And the bottom line is it's certainly not like stretching uh, the image. It's an actual anamorphic image. So it's meant to be viewed in a widescreen way. So I hope that's implemented as well. And, you know, the bottom line is, whether we like it or not, there's a ton of these GDMUs out there now. Uh, so it would be great to see a community open up and help the menu system. And maybe they would be willing to port that open source menu over to Dunin's other projects um, and help support those as well. Because while I certainly don't, um, I guess, don't understand, is probably the most polite way to put it, I certainly don't understand his stance on his products and why more people can't buy them. Um, you know, that's his choice, and I don't want to see anybody in the retro gaming community totally taken advantage of. I mean, his the bottom line is his design got stolen, and now you could buy it everywhere for 80 bucks. So it's sad, but it happens, and uh, hopefully, hopefully he'll be able to get more product out so people won't be doing that to the rest of his products. Kristoff has just released new firmware for the DC HDMI with a bunch of features, but two major ones, at least in my opinion. Um, the first is the ability to support PAL modes, 
and also the ability to pass through interlaced modes, which I know is something that um, might be different for each person, but depending on how your TV processes an interlaced signal, be it 480i or 960i or whatever, um, you might end up adding a lot of lag and it might look terrible, or it might only add a little more lag, but would look great. And that's certainly the experience I had with my old Panasonic Plasma, whereas every time I had an interlaced source, it was you know about a frame more lag, but it looked great. I mean, it just, it was shockingly good. There was almost no flicker. So for situations like that, I think I would rather have the one frame of lag sacrificed rather than, uh, you know, have to look at the flickery Bob D interlacing. But everybody's display is different. So, you know, that's why I love the, uh, you know, choices and the ability to try both, because this way you could just see whatever works best on your TV and, uh, you know, maybe do a lag test if you're worried about playing a fighting game in 480i or something. But um, I think the other thing that I have to remind everybody about is if you have a DC HDMI, uh, all you have to do to update the firmware is go into the menu and press the update firmware button. Because once you've connected it to your local network, that's it. There's no messing around. There's no loading files on an SD card. You just make sure you're connected to the internet and press a button, which I think is incredible. So uh, anybody unfamiliar with the DC HDMI, please check out my very in-depth video about it. Um, and, uh, you know, anybody that owns it, it seems like a no-brainer. Definitely upgrade to this one. A prototype of the 32X game Pinocchio was just found and dumped to the internet. Uh, apparently, this was in production alongside the SNES, Game Boy, and Genesis versions, um, and then it was canceled, presumably for the same reason every other 32X game was canceled, uh, and just recently found. I was able to play it, and it looked pretty finished, at least from my point of view. I only played it for maybe 15 minutes. So, uh, you know, if, if you're looking for a cool glimpse into history, check out the video, as well as maybe even the ROM itself. Um, one little thing, I'm not sure when people will be watching this, but I uploaded this video uh, over 24 hours before I'm recording this segment right now, and it's still at 360p on YouTube. So I uh, rendered it again in Premiere in a different codec um, and uploaded that one, and now that's, you know, that's maybe 20 hours ago, and that's still in 360p mode. So I don't know if YouTube is having an issue, I don't know if my account's having an issue, but... Uh, I was really proud because I was able to upscale that to 4K in a proper way so you can get a really great side-by-side -side comparison of what the, the Genesis version, the 32X version, and then just the Genesis layer of the 32X version looks like, which is something I was always weirdly fascinated with because some games like Afterburner, pretty much everything is done through the 32X. Um, but other games, you have a lot of the game is actually being drawn and written by the Genesis, and the 32X just adds, like, the main character to the screen or something. So uh, hopefully by the time you're watching this, the YouTube issue is fixed. Um, maybe I'll try uploading another version of it later on or something, but it's very strange, and uh, I really hope it's up to, uh, up to the way it's supposed to be by the time you guys see this. Part one of a documentary was just released that goes into detail about what happened to the Paprium game. Um, and, you know, the whole situation is just messed up. And I think by far the worst thing is anytime you have a high-profile flop like this, it takes away from everybody else. 
So um, they didn't do a Kickstarter. I think they did just a direct pre-order with PayPal. And since it's over six months, you can't really get your money back unless there's some kind of class action lawsuit. And dealing with, I'm not a lawyer, of course, but dealing with stuff across, like that across multiple countries from people that pre-ordered, that could, I imagine that could only be a nightmare. So, um, you know, stuff like this only makes other pre-ordered games look bad because, you know, just whether you know it or not, whether it's intentional or not, your average person will go into the next pre-order going, uh... Am I sure I want to put my money on this, or is this just going to be another one of those, you know, the game never comes out thing? And that stinks, because there's been a lot of really great new retro games, like, of course, Tanglewood and a few of the others that I've mentioned. So, I hope uh, I hope something happens with Paprium. The silence, I think, is kind of the the most interesting part, because whenever you have silence, you're left to your own imagination. So... I hope there's just some kind of end to it, uh, just to put this to bed and move along. But we'll see, I guess. Maybe that'll be part two of the documentary. Undamned just announced that a new batch of the Infiniki CPS2s is coming probably around the end of February. And for anybody not in the loop, this is the device where um, you install this into a CPS2 and it prevents it from suiciding, which is essentially a copy protection mechanism where if the battery died, you would lose all access to the game. And through a ton of research involving a lot of people, um, they were able to find ways to bring those games back. But more importantly, if you install this InfiniKey, uh, it won't ever suicide in the first place. Undamned said he sold a thousand in the first batch, which is such a wonderful thing to hear because that means that there were potentially a thousand CPS2s around the world that could at any moment have suicided that now are safe for life. So um, this is one of those, in my opinion at least, this is one of those must-buys. If you have a CPS2 kit or if you know one's on the way, uh, you know, try to find a way to get one of these in the February batch. And I'll keep everybody posted uh, when they're in the um, you know when they're in stock because this is something that's very important. I've seen a few pictures of the PlayStation Classic at Walmart for twenty five dollars, and I'm not sure if this was a mistake or just one store doing it, but it certainly brought up the question of you know is that cheap enough for people to be interested in it? Because to be honest, twenty five dollars for a neat little case like that, yeah, maybe. Um, you know, there's a few kind of neat things being released for it or are already out, um, such as the 8-bit dough wireless Bluetooth adapter. So you could actually use one of the newer PlayStation 4 controllers and have a button combo to get into that hidden menu. Um, there's a new version of Bleem Sync that allows you to load up um, as many games as you want, as well as other emulators. So while I was knocking this thing at 100, and while I will still knock it at 100, uh, at 25 I might pick one up just for fun. So if you know of a Walmart that's actually selling these for 25 please tweet me or something and I'll, I'll retweet you. But, uh, you know, if not, whatever, it's still a funny picture because I think all of us kind of expected this to happen at some point. There's now a mod shop selling a $7 drop-in replacement PCB for the Atari 2600 joystick. It has micro switches, so you'll have a, a clicky feel, and all you should have to do is just desolder the wires and resolder them into the new board. So this is pretty cool because I, most, if not all, of the Atari 2600 joysticks I've used have been broken in some way, and being able to replace it with uh, some real micro switches and a good quality board for seven dollars, um, you know, if this performs even half as good as I hope, it would become a must-have mod for any 2600 owners. 
And maybe I would even revisit that joystick again because I think some of the bad experience I've had over the years were with broken joysticks. Um, I did end up using like a Master System controller or something a few times, but I should definitely revisit playing 2600 games with that stick uh, if I could get my hands on one of these. So they're sold out now, but you could sign up on the site to be notified when they're restocked. And don't forget, too, uh, a lot of these solutions, be it a Raspberry Pi or the Mr. FPGA project, are going to have different ways to play original joysticks, which I think something like the Mr. with a very accurate FPGA core and the original controller, you know, especially one with a, a newly um, installed drop-in replacement PCB, is really an excellent way to experience the older games without worrying about restoring original hardware. So... Um, either way, whether you choose to use original hardware, emulation, or anything in between, the joysticks are always a very important part of the experience. So, uh, very awesome that it's a $7 drop-in part. The single-player Gamer Pro version of the Bliss Box is now available for purchase for about $40. And this is a, a device that takes some of the many controller adapters that the Bliss Box team has created and put it through to USB. Um, there, I think there's almost every game console you could imagine has a controller adapter available, and they use an HDMI port, which is a little weird to see, but there's nothing functionally right or wrong about it. Um, so you have that, and uh, plug that HDMI connector into this, and then this into anything such as a Mr., uh, Raspberry Pi, Nintendo Switch, PS3. Uh, some of the different platforms, you have to plug this into the computer and use their software to switch between it. But overall, it seems like a pretty straightforward single-player version of their 4-play. Um, that's the Bliss Box that I talked about in the past that has four inputs for up to four players that outputs USB. Um, I've started using that on my Mr., but I had mixed results with that, so I'm assuming it was the firmware update. I probably did it wrong, whereas this one comes with the latest update in there. Um, and another neat thing is the, they're also offering just an interface adapter, a breakout board. So if anybody's looking to integrate this into the Mister, that means you could utilize the very high-quality controller adapters that are just pass-through adapters that are already available from the BlissBox store and be able to use this directly into a Mister. So, uh, you know, Ash, I'm looking at you, buddy. Maybe, uh, maybe an interim solution would be to find some way to, to get one of these in there. Um, because the, the adapters, once again, are just pass-through. So whether you use a new custom one that's designed by any of the Mr. team or whether you use the ones that are already available from the BlissBox team, uh, it's still just a pass-through. So as long as all of the conversions done on the Mr. itself, you're looking at near zero lag. Uh, I believe one of the numbers that, um, you know, please don't quote me on this one, but I think it was just over four milliseconds of lag. So that, I don't think... I don't think is detectable. I don't think, uh, even in original consoles, I don't think it would pull the controllers enough to see that as a, any kind of loss. So, I mean, that's the bottom line is, if there's no functionality um, that creates any lag over the original, that's what I like to call a zero lag added solution. Of course, if you put a logic analyzer on it or something, I'm sure you could find lag everywhere, but... If it doesn't actually affect the gameplay, it doesn't really count. So, 
Um, if anybody's interested, please let me know. Uh, I would love to see one of these, or at least even a prototype plugged in or soldered into my mister. And uh, I have a bunch of cables if anybody needs to borrow one as well. I think I bought every cable the Bliss Box team ever made. <laughs> so they're expensive, but good quality, and uh, so I would love to be able to help try them out. So let me know if you need to borrow any. Well, here's a fun one. A team of people decided to port Legend of Zelda over to Doom just by recreating the map and, uh, and just making it a three-dimensional first-person shooter version. And it's really cool. It's, you know, I'm not sure if I would want to go through the whole game, but uh, it seems really awesome and something that uh, it's really neat just to, to see Zelda in a different perspective like this. The team wasn't able to finish it, so they just released all of their files to whoever uh, whoever is interested. So you're able to try it out as well as contribute if you want to keep going through. But I think it would be really neat. Um, one idea Cousin Scott and I always had as kids is to recreate uh, at least one of the Zelda dungeons in either Wolfenstein or Doom. Probably Wolfenstein just because of the look of it or something. But uh, we never got around to it. But I just I would love to see some weird fan remake of something where it's like a you know top down Zelda, but then you go into the dungeon and it's a first person shooter like this. But it's just silly wishful thinking. But if anybody has one of those, please link down in the comments. I'd love to see it. There's now a flash cart for the Pokemon Mini handheld console called the Ditto Mini. And this plays original games as well as any homebrew. Uh, and they're even working on features like backing up and restoring save games. It ranges from $50 to $125 depending on what options you want with it or if you need any of the flashers as well. Uh, but it's pretty cool. I like to see flash carts for all consoles, even ones that I didn't know existed until now. Um, to be honest, uh, you know, maybe this is shameful to say, but the only time in my life I've ever played a Pokemon game was when I was recording footage for the Game Boy Advance HDMI video. Uh, I just, I don't know why, it just never crossed my path. So I should probably, at the very least, go back to some of the Game Boy games and experience them. But who knows, maybe I'll end up with a Pokemon Mini handheld and a Ditto Mini one day. Cable maker Retro Access is now offering S-Video as an option for some of their custom cable builders. And that's for people that want something like only an S-Video cable or even S-Video and RGB, which I think makes a lot of sense in certain situations. Uh, I can imagine there would be a few scenarios where maybe somebody wants to stream Super Nintendo uh, and they have a very nice CRT with an S-Video input. Why not use S-Video on the CRT and RGB into your capture card? Um, the one thing to remember with anything like this is just splitting a signal, like with a Y cable, is very, very bad for your consoles. Definitely don't do that. Um, I did that once when I was trying to build a demo, and I, I think I shorted out the video chip or something. Uh, whatever it was, it's not good. But that's not what's happening here. You know, some of the multi-out connectors have a lot of pins available for them. Uh, you know, PlayStation, Super Nintendo, there's a, a whole bunch of others. So you're not splitting a signal, you're just accessing all of those pins at the same time. And since the signal's going to them anyway, it should be safe to use without any problems whatsoever. Um, you know, I guess other uses for this might be you want to buy one cable and sometimes use it on an S-Video CRT, others on an OSSC. I'm not sure why you wouldn't just want two cables in that scenario, but whatever. You guys know how much I like options. So it's pretty neat, and it's, uh, you know, you have to get it as part of their custom cable builder because it's definitely not something that uh, is going to be a common occurrence, but it's cool that they're offering that at all. 
uh, especially for maybe people just want a really high quality S video cable for their console and uh, there's nobody currently available to make one. There is that one eBay seller that's been making, I believe, SNES ones for a while that are good quality, but I wouldn't even know where to get a lot of the others in the highest quality. So very cool. Check out the links if you're interested. The Swiss team has just posted another update to their very awesome GameCube homebrew software. This one uh, focused on a bunch of specific game enhancements and some bug fixes, as well as now they fixed the ability to launch the original Game Boy Player startup disk from an SD card, which I know most people listening would probably think, why would you want to bother if you have the ability to launch an SD, uh, launch from SD, you would launch the Game Boy interface. But the truth is there's a, a bunch of us over the years that have needed to do comparison videos or, or even some kind of research into how things work. And uh, yeah, so it's cool to have the option now, but don't do it. <laughs> don't do it unless you're doing it for research. Always, I would always recommend the Game Boy interface software for a million reasons. Um, and for anybody new to the podcast, a super quick rundown. Swiss is, for lack of a better term, uh, a way to launch games in and manipulate the game as you launch them. So you could force resolutions, you could force certain enhancements, and it even works with original discs, which I think is really important for a lot of people that just have no interest in running backups. Um, it's what I would consider an essential must-have piece of software, and all you need to run it is just a cheap SD loader and an action replay or something, uh, and you don't need to buy the kits together. There's been many times where I've bought an action replay disc for a few dollars and an SD card reader, you know, that plugs into the GameCube memory slot for a few dollars, and those work together. So, um, and you could even auto boot into Swiss if you have that just by renaming a file. So, uh, definitely what I would consider a must have software for your GameCube. And of course, if you're looking to play Game Boy Advance, Game Boy, or Game Boy Color games in RGB, uh, the Game Boy interface software on your GameCube is absolutely the way to do it. So check out the site if anybody has any questions on that. And just an update about the FrameMeister firmware that was mentioned last week. Uh, I spoke to FirebrandX again, and he said that it's fine to update to the latest firmware as long as you don't rely on 5x scan lines. Um, that's the one thing that's still kind of broken. Um, he did realize that this is a beta firmware, or at least listed as a beta firmware, which I didn't even realize myself. So that explains a bunch of the little weirdness about it, but it should be safe to upgrade and still use with all of his profiles. Um, and in fact, if you were having compatibility issues with your 4K TV, it's probably a, a must-have. Um, and the only, the only real issue that you would find is that 5X scan lines won't look right, so just turn them off or use a different mode. Okay, on to the giveaway announcement. Uh, for anybody new to the channel, at the end of each month, usually the last podcast of each month, I announce something that uh, I will be giving away to any of my supporters. And it ranges in stuff. I try to always get cool stuff. Sometimes it's better than others. I think today is one of those days. Um, and the, then everybody has one week to put their name in, post on whatever uh, supporter page you have or that you find this at. And then I do the drawing live on the podcast next week. Or not live on the podcast, but on the podcast. So it's kind of a fun thing. I don't notify people that they've won until after a few days. So that way it gives people the chance to hear their own name uh, being called on the podcast. Which maybe I'm cheesy, but I still like that. So whatever. 
But this one is a combination of donations. Uh, so first and foremost, the console itself comes from Brooklyn Video Games, who has just been bending over backwards to help the retro gaming scene for a long time, both by selling stuff for fair prices and for helping with projects like this. Um, I think Steve, the owner, really understands what we're trying to accomplish with a lot of these, so he's been a tremendous help. Next, uh, the installation was done by Jose Cruz, who uh, has been a big help in the project. And I think you guys might see where I'm going with this one. Uh, so the install's done professionally. Uh, the console's in excellent condition. And of course, what was installed was wonderfully designed by Renee from DB Electronics. That's right, we have a Genesis 2 with the triple bypass board in it. That's the board that has the video amp as well as the audio amp bypass built in. Um, and so I got you the nicest looking Genesis 2 case that I had, only a little bit of scuffs on here, which is pretty good for an older console. Um, and it looks and sounds absolutely excellent. Now, uh, as with all of my personal installs, um, I choose to disable composite video, but as Renee designed in these boards, composite sync and composite video sync are still active, which means it works with every single cable that you would plug into this. Uh, meaning a composite sync cable, uh, sync on composite video, sync on C-Sync, including the HD Retrovision cables. And in fact, the only cable that won't work on it is just a basic standard yellow composite video cable. But you would never want composite video if you already owned a triple bypass to Genesis. So don't worry, you're not missing anything. Uh, so this is for the console only, but let me know if you don't have any other accessories. I could probably help out with stuff. And, um, you know, it's, a, I believe, a Revision VA4. And while I haven't completed testing yet, it seems like everything's been pretty solid. I have had some weird 32X issues, but to be blunt, I'm pretty sure that's just because the 32X is a complete piece of junk. <laughs> I've tried handfuls of them that sometimes work, sometimes don't, so I don't think it has anything to do with the triple bypass. I'm pretty sure it's just that you know, 32X has barely worked when they were new, let alone all these years later. So um, anybody who's interested, wherever it is, uh, Bitbacker, Subscribestar, Patreon, there will be a picture of this. Uh, and wherever you see that, just post something like I'm in or yes or something short. And uh, I think about next Tuesday pretty much, so the day before the podcast, I will close the entries and do the drawing. Um, and we'll be able to send this to one lucky winner. But Man, I really like this thing a lot. So thank you so much once again to Renee from DB Electronics for working with me on, on getting this board out to people. Uh, thank you to Jose for doing another amazing installation. Um, and of course, thank you again to Brooklyn Video Games for getting me these because uh, it's just a tremendous help and made all this testing so much less stressful than it could have been. So thank you very much and uh, looking forward to announcing the winner. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks to everybody who watches and listens. Thanks to all the people that comment and keep it cool. And, of course, thank you to all of my supporters, because without you, none of these videos could happen. So thank you very much, and I'll see you next time.